Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. Episode number... 39. 39. All right. <laughs> and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, we are always available for you on our Instagram page at Modern our, Yogi Podcast. Sorry. You said <laughs> on our Instagram. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's the, what's the name of the Modern Yogi Podcast? Modern Yogi Podcast. Modern Yogi Podcast. Right. Sorry, about that. sorry about that. And did you have a special chat GPT session for today that you wanted <laughs> to share? I did want to share chat. that. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, someone posted this chat GPT request and the request was summarize the message of the Bhagavad Gita in the style of Snoop Dogg rapping. Yes. Okay. You guys ready? Oh for my this? god, I'm so excited for this. I'm a little nervous, all right? You got <laughs> let, this. let me try this. Okay. Yo, 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 listen up, my peeps. I got a story that will make you leap. It's about the Bhagavad Gita, an ancient text that will give you knowledge and leave you vexed. Arjuna was a warrior, ready for the fight. But when he saw his enemies, he lost his might. He didn't want to battle his own kin. And he asked Lord Krishna, is it really a sin? Krishna said, listen up, my man. You got to do what's right. Follow your plan. Don't be attached to the fruits of your labor and don't let your mind become a hater. The message is clear. It's all about detachment. Do your duty. Don't worry about the satisfaction. Focus on the present. Let go of the past and you'll find peace that will forever last. So listen to the Bhagavad Gita. Take it in and let it guide you to your in own inner sin. sin. <laughs> it's a message for all, rich or poor, and it's, it'll leave you feeling blessed. That's for sure. Oh, I love when technology aids the purpose of sharing the Bhagavad Gita oh God, and does it, it yeah. so well. That's so good. I kind of want to give that to our friend Christian Das, who's a rapper, and he puts yes. a beat on it. That would be really cool. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Totally. Baron, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for I just you. understand Very that. Maybe cool. we'll put it in our Instagram. I'll send it to our awesome Instagram manager, Ella. Yeah. Yes. Can share it Shout with out to Ella. Perfect. So, quick recap from last episode. What did we talk about, ladies? We talked about Danya. Danya. Yoga. We talked about Dhyana Yoga, which is meditating. And we talked about how that differs from Bhakti Yoga and kind of what it looks like, right? Like you right. go into a deserted place and you lay this kusha grass and you sit and you focus and all of this. And this is a process that might be super helpful for some people, but it's not necessarily helpful for everyone. Some people might directly want to do Bhakti Yoga. And the, the means of doing that is just chanting the names of the Lord, right? Right, right. Yeah, basically we should engage our body, mind, and self in our relationship to the Supreme. And we talked about possessiveness, right? Yeah. Possessiveness of not only um, things, but also people. Ideas. Qualities. All sorts of things that we're possessive over. And if we can just make the subtle transition to like, okay, I recognize that I have, for example, these qualities within me that I like. Thank you, Krishna, for these qualities rather than, oh, I'm so this, so that. But thank you, Krishna, for these qualities. Please let me engage them in somehow serving you, somehow giving back, using them for good. Yeah. So if you want to check that out and you want to learn more, go check out the previous episode. And otherwise, let's get started. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Invocation, ladies, please. Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Shakshurum militam yena, tasmai shri gurave namaha. Translation, I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful 
obeisances onto him. Mm. All right, chapter six, text number 13. Priyadarshini. 13 slash 14. 13 slash 14. It's a combo text. Yes. Okay. <laughs> One should hold one's body, neck, and head erect in a straight line and stare steadily at the tip of the nose. Thus, with an unagitated, subdued mind, devoid of fear and completely free from sex life, one should meditate upon me within the heart and make me, capital M, capital me, uh, God, <laughs> the ultimate goal of life. Love that. So is Krishna teaching us how to meditate right now? Yeah. So like sitting up straight with your body, your neck, and your head erect in a straight line, and then staring at the tip of the nose. And I want to I want to just clarify again, this is within the school of Dhyana. Yeah. Because, you know, a little further, someone might like, I don't know, if someone's completely new or even not, if you hear completely free from sex life and we're very, something we're very used to or very intertwined and in, it might come like a shock. But, you know, a little further down in the purport and we're going to break it down in a moment. But I just want to throw out, it says that being so restrained without any compromise is particularly to the schools of jnana and dhyana. Um, they require complete abstinence without compromise. But in the school of bhakti, a householder at least is allowed controlled sensual life within like certain parameters. Because I love this line, it says, because bhakti yoga is so powerful that then one will automatically just lose sexual attraction and other desires that aren't the ultimate because supreme service of the Lord is the most satisfying. So that's, I think, a sweet way to put it. Yeah. So Krishna says in, in this verse, he's like, so you're sitting up straight, right? With your body, your neck, your head erect in a line, right? And then he tells you about where your mind needs to be. And mm -hmm. it needs to be devoid of certain things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, devoid of fear, devoid of sex life. Agitation. Agitation, right? Um, and those are the things that happen when you sit down and just try to meditate and try to think of nothing. You know right. what I mean? Have you ever just sat there and like tried to think of nothing? It is impossible to do that, right? And a lot of times these things come up. Agitation, right? It's like, oh my God, I need to do so many things. Why am I meditating? This meditation is t taking too long. Especially if you're really in the early stages of meditation, these thoughts just kind of like just jumble your mind sometimes, Yeah, right? sometimes it's even the thought of, I'm thinking of nothing. Right. I'm, I'm thinking, thinking of nothing. nothing. You know, I'm and that's a thought. Nothing. Yeah, and oh, it's 100%. Like, it's really difficult. So, Not to say unachievable, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Very so Krishna's difficult. telling us what type of mindset we need to be in right. if we're practicing this type of yoga. Yeah, and it, so it says one has to practice controlling the mind and avoiding all kinds of sense gratification of which sex life is as chief. So that's why they start bringing up that, right? So they're talking about all these aspects, but we've already talked about a lot about the mind, how the mind mm -hmm. can be our friend or it can be our enemy. We already understand that that aspect of is important and needed for meditation, right? Uh, we've also talked about like fear and we've talked about lust. We've talked about all these things, but in this particular part, we're talking a little bit about um, sort of the different... Um, I don't know, stages of life, if you want to call it that way. And I think we've briefly mentioned this before, but in terms of the Vedic philosophy, there is these stages and it starts with the word brahmachari, which is usually referring to a student. They usually mm -hmm. refer to these, um, uh, brahmacharis would be men and brahmacharini would be a woman, a woman or man who is dedicated to kind of focusing on their spiritual pursuits, right? Typically these people abstain from sex. They focus on learning spiritual lives and they, their whole goal is to just 
learn as much as possible. And often this happens at the very beginning stage of your life. So you can say it's not just these aspects, but it's also learning like what spirituality is, what all of the, what Bhagavad Gita is about, right? So right, oftentimes, you're a student phase. You're a student, right? So people could say that this is like when you're in high school or college or whatever it might be. But I think here it states that it's, it starts at age five, right? Like when you start actually conceptualizing knowledge and you can start with really basics like of to like who is God and like just general practices of understanding, right? So that's the beginning. And obviously as children don't have a sex desire, it's very fitting that that's a stage for that, right? As you get older, it is stated that you go into like a householder phase um, that's called grihasta. And so for grihastas is when you find a partner and you live your life in spiritual pursuits, but together with a partner, right? And it is said here that um, for the married life, having sexual relationships only with the wife is like advised, like that's what, you know, it's required. And that also should be under some level of regulation, right? Mm -hmm. So why? Because I do think, or not just me, but it is stated that lust and sex and all these things can be addictions, distractions, whatever it might be for focusing and concentrating and really, you know, Right, um, right. It, it getting into a higher stage of mind, if that makes sense. Right, right. And I know we've mentioned before, uh, I talked about this analogy of like a kid in a candy store. Like, okay, if you're so consumed by sexual activities, it'll totally distract you. Like a kid who runs in a candy store and is totally just, wow, look at all wants of this. Everything. Yeah, wants to eat it all, wants to enjoy. And he just totally forgets and is distracted by, wait, 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 why am I here? What's the point of everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so then, so in refer in reference to this, we're talking about there's the brahmacharya stage where you study, you learn all that stuff. Then, as you get older, you go into a stage in which you find a partner, and you still continue to grow in your practice, but it changes the situation. So, as a brahmachari, you're you are expected to also be celibate, right? So, we talked about that. Now, here in particularly, we're talking about the yana and and dhyana yoga. So, like when it comes to knowledge and when it comes to meditation, these particular schools of practices, right? So the practice of meditation and practice of knowledge prescribed here are, um, it says it requires complete abstinence without compromise, right? Right. So if you are at the stage in which you feel like meditation is the way in which you want to achieve a greater connection with the Supreme, a greater connection with yourself, a greater connection to all the living beings and all of that, and you want to do it through meditation, it is to be understood that you are also being celibate, right? Ooh. Okay. So, well or explained, yeah. Or if you're thinking about knowledge and that's the way you want to go, sex is a distraction. And therefore you're also, if you're focused on that particular path right now, if you're in bhakti yoga, like you were saying, right. Shamali, it's, it's a little different, especially because the path should be that you are brahmachari and then you get into a partnership and then it's regulated. And then with bhakti yoga, bhakti yoga, you just go into a, a very transitional phases of understanding like you're going to have kids and you have a partner and all of that. And as you get older, you lose desires and you focus more on God and like all these things that happen gradually and naturally. Right. right. Very well explained, Bria. Beautiful. It was yeah. really, really good. <laughs> I was a little nervous. Yeah. I think we, I think that's really kind of cool for Krishna to even talk about sex life in this Gita, yeah. right? Because like sexual desire is just so, it's like, it's it's such a big force mm -hmm. of energy in this world, right? We see yeah. billboards, we see movies, we see TV, we we grow up, we go through puberty, we have all of this energy, right? Men yeah. and women. Mm -hmm. And I think there's very there's very few 
holy books out there that yeah. even talk about sex life. And right. so Krishna is literally talking about the things that are important. And I think we need to talk about this stuff. The best path. And right. it's, yeah. it's so cool because I think, like you were saying, even amongst people, not everyone is so comfortable talking about sex. But like mm-hmm. God was like, hey, listen. God was talking about sex life. <laughs> I think maybe it was a little bit more Prabhupada, but he still brought it up anyways. But Prabhupada clarified for us, like, this is the path. Yeah. If you're looking for a path, this is what you got to do. And I appreciate that so much. Right. Like just understanding what the path is and like trying to follow it to the best of our ability is like helpful in a world where there's so much to take our attention and so much to kind of guide us in different directions. Yep. So, And I just love how, how he says bhakti yoga is so powerful that one automatically loses sexual attraction. So it's not that one has to rigidly cut it off. So when one hears that initially, it might be a little jolting like, yeah, right. What's more powerful than the sensual drive that propels humanity forward, even from a, just a biological standpoint. But that should give you a glimpse into like how much emotion and variety and, and expression there is in bhakti yoga, that it can be the most powerful driving force, which leads me to this concept of the higher taste, because the next line says, while other paths, such as the jnana, dhyana schools that we talked about, they're forced to restrain themselves from sense gratification, On the other hand, a devotee of the Lord automatically refrains because of superior taste. So, you know, other other than the devotee, no one has any other information on this superior taste. So when we've talked about this higher taste before, so like if we quit all activities and all things in this world, but don't replace it for something even higher, we'll we'll come to a feeling of emptiness. We won't Mm, be filling it with something higher. But when we kind of stop gradually and naturally, we lose taste for things that maybe once upon upon a time brought us pleasure. It's because we're naturally being replaced and we're fulfilled by something even deeper. So it's not like we're saying, uh, yeah, rigidly just stop doing this, stop doing that. It's something that you're gradually just going to lose interest because we have something even deeper. Like my spiritual master often says, all our desires in this world, we only desire broken pieces of glass when the Lord has given us a gem. Mm. So we just desire broken glass. And I think, I mean, I think you... You did a really good job of explaining that, but I also want to reiterate the idea of automatically losing your sexual attraction might be something that might be scary for some people yep. who find themselves in a partnership and they're like, this is a, a integral part of my relationship, right, whatever it might right. be. And and I to, to speak to those, I think the idea isn't a negative connotation. And I think that's quite, kind of what you right. were trying to say, Shamli, where it's a positive connotation, but it's also like a very slow and gradual natural yeah. process in yeah. which... In which as as you age, right? Like the idea is Krishna has figured out everything we need in life. He's figured out that when you're young, you learn, you understand, you process. As you get older, you find a partner and you keep continue growing in your spiritual life. And then as you get much older, you get into this sort of, um, what is it? What is Banaprasta in English? Retirement? Yes, yep. that's the word, retirement, right? So it's like retirement age, right? Like your kids are all grown up. And at that point, you kind of devote your life to spiritual progress because you're older like you you now can serve your community like it's mm. a different stage of life at that stage of life you're not looking necessarily for that right right uh, sexual life right and so i think it's it's meant to be a positive thing that will exactly. happen in your life not a negative thing 
in which you feel restricted, restricted or, or, or something it, taken away from you. Exactly. exactly. I just wanted to clarify that because I, I can see how for some people I might be like, well, I don't know how I feel about that. Right. And so just, right. just perspective. And right. It, right. You know, I think it's a good addition, something over time that happens naturally. And it's all a lot about communication. Like if you're with a partner and you both are young, but already have an inclination of like, we're totally on board together that in this partnership to dedicate fully then it's just all about finding someone who's on the same page as you one way or another, whatever you decide yeah. you're ready for. Yeah. Right. Question for you guys. So the last part of this uh, verse, Krishna says, meditate upon me, Krishna, within the heart and make me, Krishna, the ultimate goal of life. Mm-hmm. Now, couldn't that be considered bhakti yoga as well? Yeah. Right? Which is, yeah. Where are you reading that? This from? is the that- part of the verse. The, the last sentence of the, ah. the verse itself, right? I think that's important for us to mm. remember that like meditating upon Krishna and making Krishna the goal of life is also the goal of bhakti yoga. Right. So these two kind of fuse dhyana yoga and, right. and bhakti yoga. It, it's it's like, it's exactly what we were saying all along in the sense that all of these lead to bhakti yoga at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Like by meditating, you're thinking of Krishna and you're developing that relationship with Krishna. So therefore you're going to want a more personal relationship, a loving relationship with Krishna, which is bhakti yoga and so it kind of like blends Loops in. Back in. Yeah, yeah love I that. love that line. It's mm-hmm. awesome you brought it back up. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't know if there's something else you guys want to talk about in respect to that. But at the very end of this particular text, it says the principles of the yoga systems mentioned here are different from those of the popular so-called yoga societies. And I think what they mean by that is we're not talking about hot yoga or ashtanga <laughs> yoga. <laughs> yes, we're not really talking about these yogas when we talk about jnana and dhyana yoga, right? It's... um. These are like practices um, of spiritual connection rather than just material expression, if that makes right. sense. Beautifully and, said. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're, there's one line here that connects to what you just said, Shama, that, uh, yeah, the, it, it is like similar to Bhakti Yoga about trying to see Krishna. And it says, since the ultimate goal of yoga practice in, in general is to see the Lord within, a Krishna conscious person is already the best of all yogis, right? Because no matter what yoga practice you're doing, ultimately it is, as Priya said, to connect to something spiritual, to Krishna in your heart. That's the most spiritual. Mm-hmm. So no matter what path you're on, it's ultimately going to lead you directly or indirectly to Krishna, whether you take the long way or the more direct way through Bhakti Yoga. Love Mm -hmm. that. Oh, and there's one last part I love about fearlessness. It says, one cannot be fearless unless one is fully in Krishna consciousness. A conditioned soul is fearful due to his perverted memory, his forgetfulness of his eternal relationship with Krishna. And when we forget Krishna, everything goes all bonkers because then we start feeling, what is the purpose? What am I doing? Mm, Death, anxiety, all these fears come up. Existential crisis. Right. Ah, (laughs) And like we say, we go through that every other day. But when we have Krishna, it's a feeling of, Ah, you can exhale. It's, it's, it's peace. It's knowing Krishna's got your best interest at heart. He's going to guide you to where you need to be. I'm surrendered and I'm trying my best. And he totally has you carried in the palm of his hand. Yeah. Where you have faith, there is no place for fear. Right. Mm, my girl. girl, look at girl. Oh, we're all poets today. No, okay. it's a poetry slam episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just wanted to wrap it up. So, like, I wanted to read the the text one more time. So, yeah. this is, I think, a really good description of dhyana yoga, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're we're looking at one should hold one's head, neck, and head. Blah, blah, blah. Let me try that again. <laughs> one should. <laughs> okay, take three. One should hold. We got this. Okay. One should hold one's body, neck and head, 
in a straight line and stares steadily at the tip of the nose. Thus, with an unagitated, subdued mind, devoid of fear, completely free from sex life, one should meditate upon me within the heart and make me the ultimate goal of life. Mm. You so, got a word. <laughs> Erect. But yeah, that's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> I didn't want to mess up again, so I just skipped right that's over. Okay, it. that's all right. It's a very important um, word, but it's fine. <laughs> no, I just I, I think it's really cool just to, to look back at this text and see like the the steps, right? So unagitated, subdued mind, because you want to just focus, right? You don't want to mm-hmm. be like active. You don't want your mm-hmm. mind to be fully active when you're uh, meditating. You want to be not worried about all the things that could happen to you in the next time when you're meditating. Not worried about you know any lust or desires and you want to just focus on Krishna. I don't know. This I just is a really good checklist. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Really, it's really good checklist. Clear. Very uh, uneducated, clear. subdued mind, devoid of fear, free from sex life. For right. meditating, you need that. Boom. Right, because Krishna is the goal. The goal of life is to know Krishna in our heart as Paramatma. And yeah, the yoga process is ultimately to discover that. I like how it says here, one who has no program to realize Krishna in our heart is uselessly engaged in mock yoga practice and is certainly wasting his time because Krishna is the ultimate goal of life and Krishna situated in our heart is the object of yoga practice. Hashtag fake yoga. (laughs) Mock yoga. (laughs) (laughs) All right, text number 15. Thus practicing constant control of the body, mind, and activities, the mystic transcendentalist, his mind regulated, attained to the kingdom of God or the abode of Krishna by cessation of material existence. Okay. Let's break that down. All right. So mystic transcendentalist still just means yogi. Yes. So thus practicing constant control of the body and mind activities, the yogi, his mind regulated, attains Krishna by letting go of material existence. Existence? It just means existence, material desires. Well, cessation of material existence is literally leaving your body behind. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Right? Like you're no longer materially existing. Okay, so let's try this again. Oh, right. I I interpreted it also by like ceasing all material activities. That's what I thought it was. But it was an activity, yeah. Right, right, right. Just existence. Oh, right. So practicing (laughs) control of the body, mind, and activities, the yogi, his mind regulated, attains Krishna when he dies. Yeah. Ah, we got it. Yeah, when he dies. That's the translation. Yeah, so it's basically, if you do all these things, then when you die, you will attain Krishna. That's 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 cool. That's how it links back to the last (laughs) verse. Thank you, Priya. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of cool. This uh, purport goes into explaining a few things. Like cessation of material existence just really means that you no longer, like you live, leave the body behind and your soul goes somewhere, right? Yeah. And it clarifies that this idea that there is like you enter into the void is not actually true. It's like, <laughs> that's only a myth. That's not right, actually, right. there's no void. This is not how it works in terms of, um, the Bhagavad Gita and like right. our philosophy. No void within the creation of the Lord. Right. Uh, and so the idea is that your body, if you do all these checklist items and you're able to do this throughout your life, then you're able to go to the spiritual sky where there's no need for... It's like it describes a few things, right? So it says um, the spiritual sky is a place that you can enter where um, the place there is no need of sun, moon, or electricity. All the planets in the spiritual kingdom are self-illuminated. It just kind of is trying to like paint a is picture. kind of like heaven a little bit yeah, where Krishna is? Yeah. Okay, got it. It says you can attain real peace and can ultimately reach his supreme abode. And this place is called Goloka Vrindavan. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Also known as Krishna Loka. 
Yeah. Really cool. All right. Yeah. And it says one who seeks an improvement in health or aspires after material perfection is no yogi, according to Bhagavad Gita. Meaning, of course, we all want to, uh, I want to have good health and all that. But I think they're saying if you do those things, if you do yoga with those things as your end goal, like I'm going to do yoga just to be healthy, or I'm going to do yoga to have all of these material mm. Uh, perfections, then then you're not a true yogi because being a true yogi, you're seeking to connect with Krishna in the heart and go to Goloka Vrindavan. Yeah, because like our definition of yogi is like a transcendentalist. You want to transcend or go beyond this particular material experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so... And that's the whole point. We always talk about this rat race on this yeah. on this podcast, right? It's like this constant race of birth and death and birth and death. And we've been doing it over and over mm. again for lifetimes. But what is, if we transcend that rat race, what is the ultimate aim? It talks about this place called Goloka Vrindavan, which is otherwise where, where Krishna resides. Yeah. Right. Have, have you guys ever thought about your own perspective, like yourself after death? I'm sorry, come again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I'm just mean? thinking because a lot of people have this experience of like, they don't know what comes after you die. Oh, right? have, like, have we thought about it? Yeah and, oh, and yeah. and a lot of people are like, well, there's just like a black void, right? Like it's saying here, but there's no black void. That mm -hmm. would mean that there's no systems. And I think the world and the universe and everything within it is created in, in perfect systems. That's why we yes. have systems of yoga to practice systems of meditation systems of mm -hmm. not like all the systems to be able to like kind of advance in some particular mm -hmm. way so have you ever thought about after i yeah i actually <laughs> have because because of what you mentioned right there's systems right and i'm a big believer in karma karma and karmic systems and like mm -hmm. just knowing that if i have any leftover things to do or people to apologize to <laughs> or like you know what i mean like that stuff i think about it that yeah. at the time of death I will receive a body that will correspond to the good stuff and the bad stuff that I've done in this life and therefore makes me try to make better decisions now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I, because huh. I, I don't want to come to that point of death and be like, oh crap, I never forgave that person. Or, oh man, I wish I asked for forgiveness for that person. But is then is in your assumption that you're going to be an, like, you're going to have another life? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, because I don't want to be too optimistic proud and optimistic <laughs> to be like, yep, this is my last one. You yeah. know what I mean? So I tread very carefully in my life because I'm trying to prepare for that moment of death mm. where I'm, I have to reflect on my life. And and I literally think like I read somewhere that there's uh, there's there's people see a flash of their entire life before them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's like Vedic philosophy, but I've heard multiple encounters of like, I've, okay. I basically read a buzz, Buzzfeed articles that talked about <laughs> how everyone has this like flash of like their yeah. entire life flashes before them. Mm -hmm. And I, I always think about that actually, mm -hmm. where I'm like, what would my flashes look like? Mm -hmm. huh. Yeah. Well, you know, Shama on one hand, I think, I, with the life you're living, I hope that by the end you're reunited with Krishna and his spiritual sky and don't have to come back in the rat race. But on the other hand, I do think it's very good what you're doing, that you're keeping the thought of death very present when I've seen from, I think I've seen people, I've heard of people that it's one thing to think, yeah, 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 I know we're going to die. We're going to die mm. one day. But there's a disconnect between 
you might logically know that, but do you really yes. know that? Do you live by that? Do you do you know really how fast life is a blink of an eye and we're yeah. going to be facing the ultimate test, the moment of death in no time? Do you really know? And I often find there's a disconnect between the logical knowing and knowing, knowing. Yeah. And, you know, it came to mind even King Yudhisthira, who we haven't spoken about him so much up until now, but basically Arjuna's brother, who Krishna's having this whole conversation of the Bhagavad Gita with. Brother, yeah. His eldest brother said, there's a whole backstory in 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 the story leading up to, I think it's before the Bhagavad Gita, when someone asks King Yudhishthira, what is- Before and after. Before and after, yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the most amazing thing, right? Something like that. What is the most amazing thing? And he says, or a question along those lines that prompted King Yudhishthira to say, the gist of what he said was, the most amazing thing is that everyone acts as if they're not going to die, as if mm -hmm. death is not going to happen to them, you know? And, and I want to, I forget the exact way he said it, but that was the basic concept of it. Yeah. Everyone acts as if it's not going to happen. I mean, it is, a, it is a bit of a coping mechanism. I think it could be really hard unless you have a really strong mind. It's really hard to deal with the concept that you're going to die yeah. all the time. I think Shama Sangeeta does a really good job of thinking about it, but keeping upbeat and just trying her best. I, I've definitely seen you embody this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's it's a difficult thing for many people, especially because the unknown is very scary. Yeah, I actually, mm. when you asked that Priya, the initial question, like if we think about that, <laughs> just yesterday to my students, because, you know, I got back from India, seeing my spiritual master and that whole process, which at some point I'd love to talk about, but connecting it to, do we ever think about this? I was sharing the story with my students about his passing, what that meant to me, watching him pass and literally seeing like the perfection of life and how he embodied all of that at the end. And I then told them, really imagine you guys, we have a day left to live. Let's stop and really imagine it. Mm. These are sixth graders. <laughs> oh my God, you're giving them anxiety. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I mean, the reason... I'm just kidding. No, no, you're yeah, the yeah, type yeah. of teacher that I would remember for the rest of my life, yeah. actually. Because that's a very powerful question. Yeah. Most people don't take the time to have these conversations with yeah. kids. Yeah. And I was just going to give context because I agree, Priya, normally would give them anxiety, totally. <laughs> but by the time we got to that point in the talk, it was like already well into where I knew they were following me. We had mm. gone somewhere in the journey of the talk and they started, like I shared in the previous episode, a few questions they were asking back and forth about faith, God, faith, spirituality. We covered so much ground. So by the time we got to here, we were all in the same space and they were like really taking it in. And I was like, but really imagine you guys. And we had some incredible conversations. And I told them, you know, it's nice that we're a part of a school that implements spirituality and religion in our day to day curriculum. But OK, let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us, when we go to, it's a Catholic school. So I said, how many of us, when we go to church are kind of thinking, mm, okay, what am I going to do after? What am I going to eat for dinner? And a lot of kids started raising their hands. Like they were there with me. And mm. most of the time to get them to even raise their hand or follow you, like they're thinking <laughs> of something else. Yeah. But they were really like looking at me with a penetrating gaze. And they were like, yeah, yeah, no, that's me. That's me. That's what I do in church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not <laughs> present. And I said, do we really let the experience reach our hearts. Mm. So then what we do day in and day out of our entire lives, that's going to come into play in the final test of death. So yeah. now we're sitting there looking death in the eye and we have a day left. Really think about it. And it was a powerful conversation we had. I mean, I mean, I can imagine. I think even like for anyone listening or even for myself, I think to myself, like if 
are you satisfied that if you die tomorrow, you did the best that you could and that you've right. been working towards this, this goal, right? Like, are you actually feel like, okay, yep, I, I've been living my truth and then I've been living in this, in this sort of bhakti philosophy and this caring, loving, I've been, have, I've been dedicating, I've been committing to my word. Have I been doing the things that I would be proud of myself looking back? Right. Ooh, right That's a big right. question. And it's, it's hard. Not, right. not every day. And it's so easy, right. To get, to distract ourselves. Yeah. It's so easy to just going to go hang out with my friends. going to go to see this movie. Or, to, gonna think, do this or, or to think like, well, I have uh, 60 more years. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have yeah. 50 more years, whatever it might be to think, well, you know, eventually I'll get to the point where I will take things a little bit more serious, whatever it might be. Right. And then you don't realize that every day counts. Oh, oh my God. <gasps> Can yeah. I share one thing that happened in India? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Talk, talking about taking it more seriously. I got a, a dose of tough love. So there's a Swami, Shivaram Maharaj, who's very brilliant, but also very, um, bah, he'll let you have it. Direct. Direct. So, <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, anyway, so I, I went up and he was at the book table. Like they were, he was signing copies of his books. So I walked up to him and uh, we were having a nice conversation and at one point we were surrounded by like his followers on either side and different devotees. So this was not a private conversation where I got this dose of tough love. <laughs> um, so I, I basically went up to him and I said, you know, Maharaj, could you please, could I get a blessing? Because you see my spiritual master, his final word that he ever said his final word was mission. You know, he dedicated his life for the mission, for preaching, mm -hmm. for spreading Krishna consciousness. So he wanted, I think, to inspire all of us to do that. So could you please just bless me that with whatever Krishna has given me, I may use it in the mission, in giving back in some way. I thought he was just going to give me a little blessing. Capiche, we're done with that conversation. <laughs> so he instead asks me, at what time do you wake up in the morning? And I was quiet because I thought he was going to continue making the point. And I was like, oh, Oh, this is not a rhetorical question. Okay, Ooh. you want me to answer right now. All right. Uh, uh, I, I, I wake up at 6 a.m. And he was like, no, that is not good enough. You need to wake up to have enough time for your sadhana, your practice, for reading the books and the scriptures. And he keeps going. He says, do you read Srila Prabhupada's books? And I was like, it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> that's and what you said? That's literally what I said. I said, it's a work in progress. Maybe that sounds more negative than it is. In retrospect, I yeah, could have said something else. Yeah, because we have a podcast. We read the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, it's in progress. I, I said work in progress because I haven't finished all of them. It's right, a work right. in progress. I was being very honest with my answer. So I said, it's a work in progress. And he says born in the movement, you are 29 years old and you don't wake up early nor read all of Srila Prabhupada. He says, and he says, how can you expect to save others if you can't even save yourself? Oh. And I was just on my knees in oh, front of him of holding two books waiting to get signed. I was like, yes, Maharaj. Yes, oh, wow. Maharaj. And there was a whole group of people around us <laughs> watching. <laughs> I left there like with a dog with its tail in between its legs. Wow. But you know what? It really penetrated my heart. His words were like a dagger of like, it was like a wake up call. And somehow instead of feeling like, Instead of feeling anything negative, oh, and at one point, oh my God, at one point he said, we need to utilize this human life form to really maximize it. Instead of wasting our time away 
skating circle, twirling around, ice skating circles oh, around. And he didn't know? Skater. No, I had told him before that uh, he knew. Okay. So he, so part of me thought I could take it in the very negative way that he thinks I wasted my childhood, or I could take it in the less <laughs> negative way, meaning that he was just going to, he, it was more of a play on words. He was going to kind of be like walking in circles, but yeah, he said yeah, skating yeah. in circles. Yes. I'll take it that way. <laughs> anyway. And then everyone around me observed that. And I just wow. was like, thank you, Marat. You know, that's crazy. I think <laughs> that's super intense. And I think uh, just to give a, like a general like feeling for meeting Mara, just not all meetings are the same. Oh, no, no, no. That's not, not the all, norm. Not all swamis are the same. Um, but I do have a story that relates in, in the sense of like the intensity of someone's message. Right, right. And to, well, to quickly wrap it up, though, this oh, story yeah, sorry, sorry, is yeah. the ending, though. So that, that meeting ended. Later on, I told Ritad Vajramaraj, who's a very dear Swami, very close to my heart. I grew up around him, like as a kid playing snowball fights with him. So we're very, like, close. So I later on retold to Maharaj the whole story of my meeting with Shivaram Maharaj. So then I wrapped it up by telling him, so yeah, I think I was an example, Maharaj, of what not to do. And he tells me, no, are you kidding? You're an example of what exactly to do. You got an instruction. That's exactly what you want to do. And I thought, oh, that's true. And I mean, I tell you that night after getting the tough love, I didn't feel negative about it. I felt like almost inspired. I was Mm -hmm. like, you're right. If I do want to do anything of value with my life for the mission, I got to crank up the notch and take it seriously. I got to like wake up even earlier and read the books and do my practice and la da 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 da. I felt almost like my guru's words that my guru was very like gentle with me, but I almost felt my guru's words speaking through this other Maharaj of like, come on, Shamali, I have faith in you. So if you're going to do something, take it seriously, even more than you are. Cause like I take it seriously, but I think there's always deeper and deeper and deeper levels to go, you know? Yeah. So I just felt it was, um, yeah, it was mercy in disguise, you know? Oh my God. I would have, I would have pissed my pants. Lisa. Like I would have <laughs> started crying. I don't know how you handle it so nicely. Yeah. Well, I, I would start crying so fast to the point of what you're saying. I sometimes think these things happens to people and like that need it or, or could benefit or ins- be inspired from or can handle it or can yeah. handle it. Right. Because I had a friend who was also serving a different guru like just doing some everyday tasks to help him in whatever reason and he did something really bad I can't remember the full story but it was something really like he just like he was supposed to help him uh with laundry because he was just visiting he didn't have a capacity and then like he like burned the clothes when he ironed them or something and so like those were the only pairs of clothes it was silly but he was like man you're this 20 something year old and you just like ironed and burn all these things and he gave him like a really tough love kind of situation right and i remember hearing about him and i was like oh man i don't think i'll ever approach that person that swami because i would be so afraid to get some sort of really heavy like kind of talk, right? Right, I'd be so, I don't know, you know, I was kind of afraid as a kid. I mean, I wasn't totally a kid. I was like a teenager. Anyways, the point being, I remember being sort of afraid to even approach. And then I later on turns out uh, my husband, Abhijit, is really good friends with him, with this particular (laughs) Swami. And he came over for lunch one afternoon and visited us. And I was very like hesitant. Like I was like, oh God, what's going to happen? And he was light, friendly, I mean, it was completely a different experience. So I feel like sometimes these things happen for a particular person in a particular time, sort of kind of to push them in whatever capacity or inspire them or whatever it might be. So I just want to put that out there because it can already be a little intimidating to go up to some guru and ask some questions. But you never know. Maybe they'll say exactly what you need to hear. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is. I like that point because it's a very magical, mystical process almost like like Krishna doesn't give you anything you can't handle. So uh, like Shama said, 
It's when you can handle it that it's kind of like, it's not going to come your way if it's going to break you in a way, you know? So that's real. Yeah. 100%. Anything else on this first? Well, I just want to say, do you guys feel like you answered your question if you ever, you know, think about after you die? All the time, 24-7, every other day. <laughs> I believe that. When Shamali says that, I believe that. I believe it. For that. real, for yeah. real. I believe it. And Shamali and I were on like a really bad car accident, which whose anniversary is tomorrow, four-year oh anniversary God. is tomorrow. And so like that, when that kind of stuff happens to you, you like, yeah. it is, death is very much real in our lives. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, I remember like, yeah, I gave you the shorter answer about like talking to the kids, but I could go on and on about my relationship with death because I remember being like a child when I don't know if it's normal for most kids to think about death, but as from a little, I always used to think about it. And I used to like cry to my parents that I don't want you guys to die, like particularly death of loved ones, maybe not even my own death so much, but losing loved ones has always really struck a nerve in my heart. So yeah, I've always thought about it. I've, but um, I don't know this whole experience, which at one episode I'd love to share with seeing my spiritual master leave his body created a lot of deep ripple effects that really touched me and like seeing the death of someone so saintly like that. So yeah, your my relationship with death is just going deepening and evolving and, but it's good to keep it present. What about you, Bria? Huh. I don't think about it enough. And I think it's really, um, really nice to hear you guys's perspective and and remind myself as well as anyone who's listening about how we want to live our lives right and how we could die at any moment and that's okay because we have the knowledge of what happens after death and we are sincerely endeavoring for something better right right whether we achieve it or not we're prepared for the outcome but we're endeavoring so um yeah i think i don't think about it enough i, I sometimes i think about like what, what will that feel like? Mm. You know, because we have a very material like body experience of the world. We don't have a very soul experience. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I've had soul experiences when I um, see nature, something right. fantastical. You're not really experiencing it like physically necessarily, but just like, whoa, this is beyond something that I could yeah. conceive. But in terms of like, what will happen? I I will suffer maybe or not suffer when I'm dying. And then what happens after that? Do I immediately open my eyes and I'm a baby again? Or do Ooh. I, you know, like that's mm -hmm. like, I think about that sometimes. Um, mm. But I, I like you guys' answers. I, I mm. like the idea of working on like, not if I do have to, you know, come back to sort of close all my deals and like continue to not create new karma and just yeah. kind of leave everything as well as possible. Right, right. It's just like overall, I think a really interesting thought process to say this philosophy will teach us about death and like what yeah. happens after and what we should do before it. And we will cease to exist materially like this verse was talking about. And so we just got to try to practice, you know, the things it's saying slowly and be a good person, not accrue any karma. It's a lot of things, but we can do it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to wrap those thoughts together. Yeah, no, I like how you say it. It gives us kind of a roadmap of a map of how to prepare for death, how to what mindset to be in. It's the ultimate test, and it just definitely prepares us in what we do day in and day out throughout our life to be ready for it. And bring it back to one line in the purport: it says, "One can overcome the path of birth and death only by understanding the supreme personality of Godhead Krishna." Mm. In other words, 
Perfection of the yoga system is the attainment of freedom from material existence and not some magical jugglery or gymnastic feats to befool innocent people. Ooh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Ah, that was perfect ending. <laughs> and gymnastics that, yeah. <laughs> that feats to... Wait, wait. That, say that last, last line again. Not some... So, in other words, perfection of the yoga system is the attainment of freedom from material existence and not some magical jugglery or gymnastic feats to befool innocent people. Wow. That's so real. This this episode had it all. We talked about love and sex and, <laughs> and death. Life and birth. And, and Krishna and said the word erect. It was a great okay. episode. It was a great episode. And that concludes episode number 39. <laughs> oh my God. We will see you guys back here the next thing, time for the, episode number 40. <laughs> the things that stick in Shama's mind. I know. Great we'll see episode. you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. beautiful souls if you like what you're hearing please follow us on instagram at modern yogi podcast and if you love what you're hearing please make sure to share a link to our podcast at modern yogi podcast with all your friends families and long lost cousins and if you have any questions at all send us a dm on instagram at modern yogi podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you thank you for listening to the The Modern modern yogi